Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strife's Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife, and today we're going to talk about an RPG franchise that, honestly, you can judge by looking at it, has a legacy all of its own. Considering the fact that we're talking about the eighth in a franchise, currently up to 11 games in the franchise, not counting spin-offs and other things of that nature. But yes, we're talking about Dragon Quest VIII, Journey of the Cursed King. And it's actually apropos, or appropriate, so to speak, because I'm currently playing through Dragon Quest XI on my own on the Switch. Um, I've played it twice. Dragon Quest VIII I've played <laughs> five or six different times, including the 3DS remake. And thank God for that remake, too, because it actually solves a couple of the issues I was going to talk about as far as this game goes. But, as always, we have to start by talking about Dragon Quest as a whole, as a whole series. Now, Dragon Quest was originally known as Dragon Warrior until this game came out, and then, much like Final Fantasy, just became Final Fantasy VII, you know, before that rigmarole uh, of releases of, like, four and six. Dragon Quest was known as Dragon Warrior, and now it is known as Dragon Quest, and has stayed as such. And thankfully, starting with 8, Dragon Quest has been released in America for perpetuity. And thank God, because I missed out on a lot of it. And they were nice enough to re-release a lot of the games on the DS, and 3DS, and other platforms and such. Um, my favorite are 8... 11, and 5, give or take how I feel on each one. I think 5 personally, but 8 has such a soft spot because it was my first one, so, you know, bear that in mind when I talk about it. And going back and re-watching a lot of the footage um, bears that out. Um, it's not anything that will reinvent the wheel as far as the story goes, but the character interactions are really good, and it's Dragon Quest. The one thing you can say about Dragon Quest is when you've played a Dragon Quest game, you've played a Dragon Quest game. It doesn't try to change much, and it does in subtle ways as it goes along. I'd say it, you know, gets rid of random encounters and whatnot, or has some quality of life things, or skill trees, or whatever, but at the end of the day, Dragon Quest is an RPG. It is a Japanese RPG, and it is very happy to stay in that realm. At least I sure as hell hope so, because I know uh, they dabbled with like free movement in Final, uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, and it didn't work, so uh, stay with turn-based. Please, do what Persona does. Tur please do what Yakuza is doing now with Like a Dragon. Stay turn-based, please, I'm begging you, because Final Fantasy has proven for better, or most likely for worse, that trying to do an action-based thing in a what is a turn-based genre doesn't always work out. If you want to do that, play a Tales game. If you want to play an action RPG, play Dot Hack or something else. Play Kingdom Hearts. If you want to play a turn-based RPG, play Dragon Quest. It works because they don't change it, and I hope they stay the course. They've dabbled in stuff like, you know... MMOs and whatnot, but Dragon Quest is Dragon Quest. It's whimsical. It's fun. You know what you're in for. It's like 
cuddling up in front of a fireplace at Christmas time. You know there are conventions that must be adhered to, and thank God for that, because a lot of games could stand to, like, not change, you know, when you've got a good thing going. I, I get it, you're trying to appeal to the large audience and whatever, but what about those people you alienate while trying to change, and you end up not serving anybody? Hello, Final Fantasy twelve and thirteen. I'm looking at you, but we'll talk about those on their other day. I'm going to stay in a happy place. I'm going to stay in a good place, and that good place is Dragon Quest eight. And I will say as much. Um, two thousand three feels like so long ago. Uh, this was packaged in with, I believe, Final Fantasy X as a demo, or, you know, Final Fantasy XI or twelve in a demo or something. Oh my god, it's so good. It, it was one of those, P like, the PS2 is long, for, long remembered as a fond console, and games like this are why. And for all my quirks about Star Ocean 3's plot twist and whatever, I still put that as part of the reason why PlayStation 2 is really good. Of course, Persona 3 and 4. You don't get games with that regularity anymore, it seems. But when we're talking about Dragon Quest, we also have to remember that in Japan versus America, there is a difference. In the U.S., it's fairly, you know, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's a lot like Tales is. It's not like Final Fantasy where, oh my god, we're selling a ton of copies and it's amazing. I think it would because Square Enix is selling it, but I don't think Dragon Quest is that thing. But over in Japan, they have holidays whenever these games come out. Unofficial holidays. And it's it's so glorious. This franchise is so good, Yakuza's new main character, Ichiban Kasuga, thinks everything is Dragon Quest. And Yakuza 7 is Dragon Quest with gangsters. Like, how could you not love this? And I'm just in love with this franchise. And the fact that it took me this long to recognize it is, is a crying shame. Because the more I talk about it, you can hear it in my voice. I am just in love with how simple and effective. This is what I grew up with. And this is what I want things to be. Like, as an RPG fan, this stuff, Persona, if you're going to reinvent the wheel, reinvent, like, quality of life. Don't change the concept. The concepts make sense. If you're going to change it, change the tone or change the characters or change the music up a little bit. But this is just good old-fashioned turn-based RPG stuff the way, well, Grandma used to have it. You know, that sort of thing. That's what it feels like. We've had these for 30 years. There's no reason to screw around with it. But why am I so jazzed up about this? Why am I so happy about it? Well, part of it is due to when this came out. This was a first attempt at 3D. I mean, I think maybe in 7 or whatever they did it. But 8 was when it first kind of blossomed into this really expansive thing they took advantage of the ps2 hardware it's quaint now but you go back to those other dragon quest games in 2d and it's just like uh, it's weird it's it's a change and dragon quest 8 and 11 are kind of those modern ones they feel like a 3d game they feel like you're going through a world and especially in the versions where you have no like no random encounters and enemies are on the field trying to chase you down 
it feels like you're walking through the world and it's just it's just works so well so what does change between dragon quest entries not a whole lot but the stories do change and the story in this one journey of the cursed king has to do with the curse of trodane not specifically the land itself but a scepter that was housed inside there was a magical barrier but a jester by the name of dual magus decided i don't want to be uh, i don't want to be shortchanged and look down upon by people um they actually enhanced this in the remake and they gave him a backstory further than before but he goes into trodane castle under the guise of hey it's a party it's a whatever and then he steals a scepter and then he just creates all this fucking mischief these thorns and this stone like everybody turns to stone and the entire place is in captured in thorns and um a couple of people are transformed and that's where we're left the main character however ceases to be cursed we are never understood why he just avoids curses i suppose he's just god i guess i mean you wouldn't be the main character if you didn't have that kind of power and again he's a silent protagonist so what can you do we just have the game to go on as far as his i'm sure they've explained it and it's a he's a silent protagonist he has plot armor deal with it um so they go about their merry way and they uh are basically chasing dual magus down and they get a couple of happy helpers once they help them out as well and we'll go over the characters later um as they keep finding bodies left in dual magus's wake they learn about the seven sages and their heirs and the the goal of Dumagus is not his own actually his his goal is to destroy the uh seals on the scepter and then release the actual big bad known as Rapthorn and through shenanigans well of course Rapthorn exists but while we're on that way we come across the reason is why uh Trode and Medea Medea being his daughter king trode and princess medea they were the ones cursed king trode looks like a troll like a mini little troll almost like a goblin like thing and people were like scared shitless of him and don't know what to think so so he can't go out in public unless it's like a shithole city um or one of the later cities that is actually like hey we live with monsters and stuff um princess medea has been turned into a horse great but medea will haul our stuff and you know haul a carriage and king trode rides her and whatever and it's weird but it works because they explain who that character is they explain who trode is all of the main characters get their day in the sun and again nothing's too out of the ordinary i think dragon quest 11 like 5 and 11 tend to be a little more dark and uh, a little bit more uh expressive with their storytelling but the characters in this as stock as they are work except of course the main character who is not a character he is a dude in plot armor because he's a silent protagonist but i will stop harping on that one day but let it be known silent protagonists are not characters so fuck it let's talk about characters that actually mean something let's start with yangus 
And while uh, Dorkface and Trode and Medea were um, going through Trodane, they happened upon a bridge, and this guy was on it. He tried to do the whole troll on a bridge thing, and it caught up with him. But Dorkface said, hey, I will save your life. And then Yangus, trying to go straight as a thief, decided, hey, why not follow him? Not King Trode, but Dorkface, and he calls him Gov from now on. And I guess I'll stop calling him Dorkface, but maybe not. He is known as Gov in this game. Or eight, but I call him Dorkface, so I shall call him Dorkface. And in fact, that should be my title for every silent protagonist. So let's keep going. So Dorkface and whatever keep going. Couple cities later, as the game officially starts proper, they happen upon Jessica Albert in a town known as Alexandria. And Jessica Albert is a feisty, jasmine-type character. She's not one to be trifled with and held down by traditions and, you know, arranged marriages and all this other bullcrap. And she leaves her home, leaves her high-standing noble family and says, Hey, you guys are strong. Why don't you help me? And then she ends up helping out as well. She's awesome. She's the female of the party. And they use that to their advantage. Um, she's a She's in a skimpy midriff with a nice skirt. And you can, like, go down a skill tree that focuses on her, you know, uh, sensuality, and they try to do that in cutscenes. It's not super overt unless it has to be. Like, Dragon Quest is a little more um, demure with its sex appeal stuff, aside from the puff puff thing that ended up just being a in-joke, a slime joke. But, you know, they have their fun here and there. But Jessica can use her sex appeal. She doesn't. She's more just feisty and attacks people with magic or a whip, if you prefer. Like, again, feisty. So they keep going. Couple more areas in, and they happen upon Angelo. And Angelo is, for lack of a better term, Gambit in X-Men, except he has no superpowers. He's a, he's a suave womanizing creep but he's too suave for his own good and you like him because of it but he's a bit of a he's a bit of a jerk too um they find him in a bar fight honestly because they he he cheats his way to a card game win and he, he brings shame to Myala Abbey who is pretty much not not officially but pretty much run by his half brother Angela or Marcello who absolutely hates him the story is a nice little subplot of the main characters. These are the, like, Angelo's the one who gets the highest subplot. And his whole thing is Marcello was born of wedlock. And his dad hated him and whatever. And then they ended up, he ended up leaving. Um, Angelo ended up getting conceived later, but... You know, it was a thing where the main household decided to get rid of both Angelo and his mother and whatnot. And Martello has this, like, weird relationship with Angelo, like he blames him for being thrown into the abbey and whatever. And he's a conniving asshole. Marcello is power-hungry and vengeful and angry. Angelo 
kind of just takes it in stride, though there are moments where he's annoyed by it. And you see that, and, and it's the, one of the best side, side stories in the game is whenever they get to interact, because you don't get that a lot in Dragon Quest, a lot of like inter, inter-character dynamics other than the plot of the day or the character of the day or the big bad, you know? Um, so Angelo always tries to hit on Jessica, but it's not like, it's not like overdone, you know? At times, it's just there. It's fun. Um, in the 3DS version, they have a couple other main characters, but these four characters, including Dorkface, are your four party members. That does not change in the original version. You have those four characters, and that's who you're with. And hope and pray you like them, because goddamn, something they did they did do in the 3DS remake was add on Red, who is a fond. Uh, no, Yankis is fond of her, and then Red kind of understands it and messes with him a little. She's a lot like Jessica if Jessica were a, a thief. You know, like take Zidane from Final Fantasy Nine, I guess, but turn him into like a, a seedy, like, you know, money-grubbing girl. She's a thief. She's a thief. She loves pageantry and she loves money and she's just always doing stuff in the original game she doesn't do a whole lot but in the remake she's upgraded to a full-on main character midway through the game which is cool because i think dragon quest needs as many characters as you can at least you know six to ten is a good let you know a good amount you know six to eight if you go over eight or if you go under five or six it tends to just be a little too little um keep on going and you get another main character at adjacent known as Mori and major uh, <laughs> whoops I had him mixed with Silvando from 11 but they're pretty much the same character except Mori's super old but think of those like super suave old guys who are super strong you know but Mori is just this this owner of this like fighting pit the main um side quest of the game is a monster arena where you you know take monsters from in the overworld team them together and fight other ones and he's just this italian guy with this just this is gusto is this is great he's he's just he's just fancy he's he's got a a scarf that constantly floats in the wind even though there's no wind inside the building but it 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 flitters in the air because he's so he's the most interesting man in the world that's basically what he is he's an owner of a fighting arena but he's the most interesting man in the world and i love the fact that they upgraded him as a character you can only get him if you win his arena but still um so those are your main party alongside them but not main party members are king trode and princess medea King Trode is a bit of a... Oh, this is annoying, and you are... Why are you being so stupid? You know, the the the, the boorish king type, and he and Yangus always kind of come to blows, and he's a bit of a hoity-toity king, but, you know, he's got a heart to him on occasion. Um, Princess Medea, midway through this game, can actually transform into her normal self, at least for a little while, and she's... She's princess. She's princess girl. 
she's nice, but she's princess girl. There's not a whole lot there. She is a plot object, unfortunately. She likes the main character, and, you know, that's fine and all, but she's just there. Uh, um, the main thing with her is that she is meant to be wed to a completely inept uh, prince. If you thought King Trode was the boorish, annoying type, you haven't seen anything like Prince Charmel's from Drago uh, Argonia. Uh, King Argonia is great. He's got this stern, like, why are you here? Why do I want to help you? You know, but he feels like he's been in a battle, you know, that ex-soldier type of king. Prince Charmel's is the just... Oh, you are pathetic. Why won't you do what I ask you? You will do what I say. And just that type of person. Except he's a Eric Cartman. He is Eric Cartman. It is sad. So yes, Dragon Quest effectively turned Eric Cartman into a prince. And that's as bad as it sounds. So that's Medea's whole thing. She is betrothed to this Eric Cartman guy. And she knows it and wants to get away from it. And then they build to Dorkface being somebody she actually likes. So, cool, I guess. But then you have them arching main villains. And villains, plural. Uh, Dual Magus. A jester who stole the, the thing. Think Kefka if he's less emphatic and, you know... Not as murder-hungry. He'll set fire here and there, but he's not completely balls-out insane. He's just gesture guy. But the, the actor they got for him is nice, and he says things like, Such a pity! And, he, you know, he's a jester, and he looks like a jester, and he has his fun, and he fucks with people, and it's great. What's not so great is the actual main villain known as Rapthorn. And, yeah... Rapthorn is a thing. Um, but essentially, he is controlling Dual Magus and whomever owns the staff. I say that because Dual Magus only lasts half the game, and then we realize it's been Rapthorn this whole time. It's one of those, oh my god, I was the boss all along, it's so great and all. You know that thing. It was supposed to be me all along, and it's, it's dumb. But I'll do that when I do my rundown of negatives and positives. But yes, you have your characters, you have your setup, and as they're going along, you're doing your thing. And the main goal is to go from town to town and do different things, whether you're finding somebody's crystal ball, whether you're helping Prince Cartman with his stupid... Um, quest to find a heart that will give him like initiation rights and become a king and marry Princess Medea. You've got the seven sages who you know are being hunted by Dulmagus. You have Trode trying to find things like his sanctuary where he can go out to have a drink and not be accosted for being an ugly to toad looking thing. It's it's fun. It's fancy, it's fun, but it's nothing you've never seen before. But the characters make it work, if nothing else. And that's where it lies. And again, that also extends to its battle system. If you've played an RPG, you've played Dragon Quest. If you've played a turn-based RPG, you've played Dragon Quest. What does it do differently? Maybe a skill tree or two. Um, later Dragon Quest games 
have dabbled with class systems and changing classes and uh, mainly with 8 and 11 you have this like pick a weapon type you get like two or three different weapon types and then you get like a special skill and you have to use every level up to use skill points to gain different skills um some are better than others and some are more useful in helping level up uh, as others but it, you know you fight a dude you beat up a dude you do some magic, you buff some magic, you debuff them, you do that stuff, and then you fight some bosses, and you keep going. If you're high level, and you're good enough, and you have the right strategy, you'll win. If you're not, you're gonna get your ass kicked. You go to towns, you rest at inns, you revive at churches, because zing only works half the time, if only whatever. You know, that sort of thing. But there are traditions that Dragon Quest does that here are there have been established and have stayed canonically the same. The whole reviving at um the whole reviving at a church or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. Saving at a church. They do autosaves here and there and in in later games, but yeah, save at a church, rest at an inn, fight it, you know, that sort of stuff. Go here, do the plot of the day, keep going. It builds on itself. It's a 30 to 40 hour game. You know what you're in for, but sometimes that's all you want. You know, and that's the good thing about Dragon Quest not really changing much is when the next one comes out, oh, I can say, oh, okay, cool. And then there are ever so often you'll have the games where maybe 8 doesn't have like the crazy side questy stuff or the 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 darker stories that maybe 5 or 11 do. But they do just enough character-wise or story-wise that you start feeling good about yourself and you're just like, I'm immersed in all this. I'm immersed in this simple battle system. I'm immersed in this visual style. I'm immersed in these uh, music, you know, because the music is fine and it's always been kind of bleeps and bloops, but in 8 they did um, symphonic. They had an orchestral soundtrack and I know in Dragon Quest 11 there was a big problem with it being made midi style and then they had to do for the new uh definitive edition they had to have a symphonic an orchestral version makes sense i mean you have the technology you should be using that but that's for its own thing um the other thing i will say about aesthetics is anybody who's played dragon quest will know it right away because it's made um come to life by akira toriyama who did Dragon Ball. Yet again, I have to remind myself, I've never watched Dragon Ball. I watched like 10 minutes of it and then didn't get it. And now I'm going to lose all of my anime credibility. But what do you want from me? I also know he did Chrono Trigger. So, hey, if you've played Chrono Trigger, you've, you pretty much know what Akira Toriyama stuff looks like. The characters look like they should. The, you know, the the characters act differently than Final Fantasy characters do. And I think that comes down to when they started doing voice acting, they started adding a European voice cast. That's why I'm not, you know, doing the rundown of characters, you know, like I always do, because I don't know who the, I don't know who the actors are. They're a different crop of actors. So if you're looking for a different, you know, subset of actors than like the AAA actors or the anime game actors or the anime actors in general dragon quest has you covered stuff like xenoblade has you covered because they go for the european style um 
they have a lot of weird hackneyed phrases that they throw in there. They try to, you know, sometimes they'll try to have a Russian character. Sometimes they'll have to have a Japanese-style character. But a majority of the time, it's those old-school UK cockney, Oh, blimey! You know, that sort of that sort of UK thick dialect, which I don't even know is a thing. But, yeah, European and UK-style actors dot this franchise and it gives it its own identity um they also have character you know and character place you know places names um uh, enemy characters enemy names are all puns on themselves like oh man i'm trying to remember there's like slime names and there's like shell slime and then there's other ones like cruel cumber and uh, oh god i'm trying to like cruel cumber is the one that comes to mind there but there's like so many other good ones you know there's like uh jarvis who was a boss in 11 you know i'm dotting around different franchises but you get the idea like this dragon with a jar is named jarvis and he's making pot puns you know uh jar puns because his name is jarvis <laughs> you know that stuff um you know or Every little place has its own little unique quirk. It could be the ice level, or it could be the water level, you know? It could be whatever. You know, again, Dragon Quest lives on tradition, and I'm really happy about that, and I really like that. The, the, the cool things about this game work. Um, the characters, Yangus, Jessica, and An Angelo, all worked well for each other i think red interacts off yang is very well maury is just a hoot tro does his best and Medea is just there but it gives you a goal you want to see them come back to normal at least i mean yeah i like i don't like Medea as a character but i don't want her to be a horse for the rest of her life you know dual magus is a fine enough villain most of the time while he's there you know, and Marcello's great. So the characters, the main characters are all amazing and and fun. Um, the soundtrack, I don't know, like, the main theme. The main theme while I'm going around the world, the battle themes, the... the -na 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 -na, you know, the sound effects, they all make sense. The getting the chests all, you know, it's almost like Zelda. Like, they're just tradition. They don't change. They're not supposed to change. It's the way it's supposed to be with a rubber stamp on it. You know, that sort of thing. And all those things work. And the things that it, that 8 does do differently. The monster arena. The monster arena is great. Having a skill set where you can have a playthrough where a dork face is a swordsman. And then all of a sudden he can use a spear in the second playthrough. Or he uses his fists. You know, you could do stuff like that. Um, the remakes also the remake also answers a lot of questions i had with the ps2 version they take the random encounters and then turn them into on-field encounters so i can run away at my leisure and make me super happy because i don't have to fight when i don't need to um they give red and maury characters in the party so you can add them as a replay value you know you can date jessica as an ending if you didn't want, if you don't want to work with Medea, you could choose to uh, marry Jessica in the in the 3DS version. So, the 3DS version is the better one because it adds things to it. 
Um, in both versions, the other thing I really like is the monster arena. Because not only do you get to have this whole side quest where you're getting monsters in your team, you can actually take that team and have them as an extra two or three turns in a fight, specifically a boss fight. And some of those higher level monsters can wreck face. And some of them are like you could take a metal slime. You could take a giant golem. You could take three giant golems and metamorphosize them into the big megazord golem guy. You can take these guys that have like double turns like this dinosaur that has an axe that does two attacks you know it's cool and the monster arena is great because then you can challenge yourself to pick a better team and you know get better items and then get mori as your as your final party member so the monster arena has in battle consequences it's got a side quest attached to it and it's got a goal in mind you know it's so good so I've been lavishing praise on Dragon Quest VIII this whole time, and I'm, like, loving this entire franchise. So there's got to be something wrong. And there is. And I'll start with... I'll start with um, the more Dragon Quest as a, as a whole. Um, because it is a fixture of it to stick to tradition... The thing I noticed about Dragon Quest, which is different than a lot of other games, is that they don't give you money for shit. I mean, when you're fighting, you get maybe... Say, for instance, when I was playing in 11, I was getting maybe 200 to 300 experience points per level. That's fine. But I was only getting about 50 bucks. If I wasn't stealing anything or if I did get a good drop of an item, I'm done with 50 bucks. Unless I'm specifically fighting a certain monster that is designed to drop money, you're always going to be lacking funds. So whenever you go to the next town and have to experiment with, oh my god, I need better equipment, or oh my god, I need a better weapon, or whatever, you have like four people that you have to account for, and you're almost never able to fully deck them out. I was able to do it just yesterday in a town that was one spot ahead just because i was um on a ship i was able to go to a higher level area get better items and then i was able to forge some of the other ones and save money but if you're so used to being able to stockpile items and whatever like in a final fantasy game or some other game where you're able to equip everything or if it takes maybe 10 minutes of grinding it's fine it could take you an hour to get better items and whatever. And it turns out that I don't think Dragon Quest wants you to do that. They want you to, like, re-up whenever you can. Like, you don't have to re-up items. It's, it's a quirk. It's a, it's a quirk that I don't know is specifically a negative, but it's not something I'm used to. I'm used to it now because that's kind of how it's been built. But if you're used to RPGs where they give you a lot of money, that's not this. Thankfully, they do get they do drop money. Games like Final Fantasy XII or Xenosaga Two or Final Fantasy VIII would be dumb, and they would have oh here's some money. You just have to fight for it. Here's some money. You have to get paid for it, like a salary. It's like, but what happened to monsters dropping gold? It always worked. So Dragon Quest does do that. It just doesn't expect you to actually get all the items all at once. And that's a thing that 8 does, and that's a thing that's more of a series quirk. I said before that the limiting 
party roster. I like the characters, but outside of changing them up a little bit, you have to stare at the same four dudes for the last, you know, 40 hours. At least in the 3DS remake, you get Red and Mori if you look for them. Uh, Red, I think, is mandatory, and Mori is if you do the Monster Arena. So there you get a little bit of leeway. Um, but in that original PS2 version, you had four people. You had Dorkface, Yangus, Jessica, and Angelo. And you had to hope and pray you liked them as characters and as the battle party because you're not getting anybody else. So take it or leave it as it is. What I will say is my one drawback is Rapthorn in general. And he himself is not meant to be a threatening villain. I get that. But even when, I think it's one of those things where when the game knows you suck, you're not doing your job. Um, Duel Magus, for all his quirks as a jester, still comes off as a threatening individual. He's got all that magic power because of Rapthorn's possessions and shit. But the problem I find is that you get rid of Duel Magus so quickly. He himself could have been a viable villain and... You know, we saw this with Kefka in Final Fantasy VI. Give them enough characterization and their crazy, you know, manipulative clown shit, you know, can be a strong enough motivator to want to get rid of them. Um, but you get rid of Dual Megas halfway and then you find that the scepter was the thing all along and Rapthorn was the, was the villain all along. So you go through this weird stretch where you're chasing one character, then you're chasing a different character, and then you're still chasing that same character, but now he's inhabiting a dog. And it's like, then you finally find him at the exact final dungeon because they do the floating castle bullshit because of course they do. Um, and I don't even hate the floating castle thing. It's it's a cliche, whatever. But Rapthorn himself looks like a bug. He looks like a firefly. And for all of the all of the thirty some hours that you've spent trying to chase this thing down, the first form, I do admit, first looks like a firefly, and he sounds like a fucking putz. Maybe that was by design. I don't know. It's like Zer it's like Zemus and Zeromus in four. It's uh, Final Fantasy four. It's like it was me all along. It was like I was f I was fine with Golbez, thanks. So then you get rid of Rapthorn in the first bit, and then you find out his actual final boss form, and then you look at his final boss form. It's basically the genie Jafar from Aladdin, except he's fat. So it's like what? You spend all this time chasing this jester who you've physically seen like stabbing dudes and killing dudes and setting fires. And your final boss is a firefly and a fat genie. Kind of, kind of, you know, I had to, I had to say it, you know, because as much as I like Dragon Quest Eight, I mean, I had, I had to say something bad about it because I've lavished praise about it this entire time. So again, I don't think Dragon Quest as a series or as Dragon Quest Eight as a game is perfect. But I've said over and over and over, if you're looking for a traditional uh, Japanese RPG, you might as well go with the first one. Or you might as well go with the first, the first 10 Final Fantasy games. Because Final Fantasy decided to just 
smack itself in the head and try different things after that point, and I don't know. Dragon Quest, at least, decided to stay the course. SMT, Persona, Atlier, they decided to stay the course. And thank God that those still exist, because those are the games that I played and have still been playing, and that's what I think of when I think of an RPG game. If you're a fan of the Western style or the action style, that's great. Not every game has to be a turn-based RPG. I get that. But this is the type of stuff that I love. This is the type of stuff that I've spent 20 years playing and enjoying. And whenever I want to play a game, this is the kind of game I can dig into. And when they have characters with as much goodwill and with a strong like narrative and a strong belief in what they're doing, it works. And then all you really have to do is work around the minutia of the battle system and make it look nice and feel nice. Or do the Persona 5 thing and make it look like a fucking kaleidoscope of a phantom thief, you know, heist movie or something. That sort of thing. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. And if nothing else, Dragon Quest has taught us that there is a there's still an audience for this sort of thing and it's called Dragon Quest for a reason. You know what you're getting. And yes, they've dabbled in stuff like Dragon Quest Builders and Dragon Quest Heroes, but they've stayed true to at least when it comes time to do the mainline stuff. They haven't fucked with the formula like they do in Final Fantasy, and I hope and pray it stays that way. Cuz if my uh if all my praise of 8 and 11 and 5 and whatever, because we'll go into those games eventually. But you can see why this is the sort of thing that makes me happy. Because there are going to be times when games will not make me happy, but the majority of the time, Dragon Quest 8 is just fun. It's there. You know what you're getting into. You know what you're playing. It's confident in its identity and it doesn't try to screw with you you know what you're getting in for and i think anybody who is a rpg fan or just starting to play rpgs finding the 3ds version of 8 or looking up a youtube thing or even getting out an old ps2 and playing this game i would highly suggest it there is not much wrong with dragon quest 8 and you will definitely enjoy it but that'll do it for me today uh, next week will be Gonkutsuo, the Count of Monte Cristo. Week after that will be Odin Sphere. And then after Odin Sphere will be um, Madoka Magica. Now, that is a tentative list, and I think I have a tentative list for things up until March and the Miku episode, which I. Again, really looking forward to actually doing a recording on, but that's not until March. I, I do have feelers out there for a couple people as far as guests go. We might have a different game in order instead. But for right now, Dragon Quest was today. We've got Odin's here next, and I think I want to do Star Ocean 3 at some point. And oh my god, do I want to talk about that plot twist. I don't want to remember the plot twist, but I could talk about it for days, if nothing else. And, you know, whatever else the game did. But, hey, I don't have to talk about that game. I don't have to talk about Final Fantasy XII. I had a fun time talking about Dragon Quest VIII. I had fun talking about Dragon Quest as a series. So I'm going to leave off in a positive mode, in a happy mode, and I'm going to wish you guys a good night. So, that's all from me, Citizen Strive. 
signing off.